Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Avatar, the Last Airbender. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today, we are talking about Avatar: The Last Airbender, Book Two, Earth, Zuko Alone, which is the seventh episode of season two. And uh, Marcus asked, "Was there a reason that we we're only doing one episode today?" And yes, the reason is that there are two parters coming that are not that are not even i mean odd even but are even odd so that's why we're only doing one episode today also it's a good episode there's plenty to talk about but um but no it wasn't like this is such a significant episode that we'll need a full half hour to talk about it it was more like well when are we going to do our single episode let's do it now um and we didn't want to do three episodes so that is why we are just talking about this one but you know, I think it is a good one for us to focus on because as we have talked about, you know, earlier in the season, there has been a lot less with Zuko um, and Iroh and, you know, with him breaking off specifically, this episode is all Zuko, hence the title. And I think it was uh, both some good storytelling for the present, but also it was a good opportunity to get some, some, um, just some background on a lot that's going on. So Allison, I'm going to throw it to you. What did you think of our Zuko episode and the glimpses we get at his history and maybe what could have been uh, if some certain developments had not gone the way they did? What did you think? Oh, I thought it was really interesting, um, which is such a boring word, but I I'm not sure that I've got a better one. I've got, um, Noel used the, the lovely term quarantine brain a couple minutes ago before we started recording. And I've definitely got that today, but, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting to see what still lingers with him and to sort of dive into these conflicting impulses that he seems to have. Um, this sort of complicated, messy mix of, shame and pride and um grief and anger uh compassion and rage it's all mixed up uh and and while that is all pretty familiar like there are a lot of beats here that will be very familiar to anybody who frequents heroy fiction um i think it's done really really well i am very interested in zuko's mom Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that. Um, and I'm excited to learn more about Azula because, man, she sure does seem like she was always the worst. Um, just always. Yeah. Even her mom is like, what is how? How this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When your mom is like, we're OK. No, 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 no. Come on. We're going to talk. Oh, okay. Um, and she seems to have no reaction to that at all, which is usually an an indication that m- maybe that kid might be a ball. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm into it. I was into it. And I think it's fitting that this is the one we're doing by itself because it's alone. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Noel, how about you? I I really like this episode. It's sort of a... Um, it's a... It's a weird episode in that, like, it's really great. It's very much standalone. Um, so much so that, like, I think it was The Verge was just like, if you need to convince someone to watch Avatar The Last Airbender, this is the episode to show them. To which I went, that is not the correct choice. No. <laughs> this episode is this episode is all the things that the show does really well. However, 
the emotional mm-hmm. context of the show makes absolutely no sense unless you've watched the preceding like 26 episodes that come before it. Um, but it's still really, really thoughtful for all the reasons like Allison just enumerated in terms of laying out how really deeply conflicted that Zuko is and making all of that stuff that was just kind of boiling under the surface in season one and making all of that text and giving us explanations for it. And holding that back for so long shows an immense amount of restraint, I think. But then layering it into a heavy American Western motifs, especially like Shane, um, I think it works really, really well and really works to their advantage. Like they pick the absolute best genre homage to do this kind of emotional work, I think. So I think this episode's just very, very strong um, and pays off just so many things in it. Plus it's got a bunch of cute hybrid animals in it, just so many cute hybrid animals, all of them <laughs> pigs of some kind. We are going to talk about that uh, a little bit later. But yeah, I'm a sucker for a Western, as listeners will probably know by now. And uh, I'm particularly a, a sucker for um, the anything that's this kind of like the stylized man with no name. You know, you mentioned Shane. Like there's uh, anything going in that um, the, the the broody, angsty loner could, po- could never possibly be loved or accepted by the community. Right. <laughs> Which is um, I. I, yeah, I'm just a fan of, of Western, um, I I grew up on Western movies and also just like the very distinct aesthetic choices that come with those. I I really appreciate them. So this was an excellent fit and like Angry Fire Kid is such a good, like hilariously entertainingly good fit for that. Um, the fact that, uh, I'm not, I, I think they get some good stakes in, you know, his, the, the ostrich horse. Um, and, and the food and like thirst and uh, they get some good angst out of it. They get some good steaks out of it, but I also never believe that he's in that much danger. Um, which allows me to be like, ah, you're such, you're such a drama queen. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm also never anything but certain he would destroy all of these people if he actually fights them, uh, which we see happen by the end. So that helps too. So I can just kind of like sit back a little bit and enjoy the aesthetics, enjoy the pacing, enjoy the the tropes and the beats and how they're playing with that part of it in the, the main narrative. Um, so, so, Oh yeah. Marcus is, yeah. I felt there was no sense of danger whatsoever. Yeah. For me, there wasn't, but, but I, there was enough that I, it fit in the style and um, yeah. So for me, I could enjoy it as like a genre exercise and then, these little tantalizing glimpses of the, of the past. Um, so how about uh, Fire Lord Iroh? What a different world we'd be in, right? Such a different world. Yeah, man, what a loss. Fire Nation, they, they, a, a sauna for every home. <laughs> um, a teapot in every house. Yeah, it was, it's interesting seeing, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm this episode succeeded mostly in the flashbacks, at least, because I too really like at one point when Tom and I were watching, I said, this town ain't big enough for the six of us. Right. (laughs) Like it's very it's it's lovely as as a genre exercise. But with the backstory, that's where my 
interest is sort of gravitating toward and it mostly succeeded in making me want to know more rather than necessarily telling us all that much. Like I feel like raises far more questions than answers. Um, and I'm curious about the dichotomy in this family and how it is that, um, that there's this divide between people who seem to recognize death and trauma and grief and loss and then this sort of ruthless ambition without seeing without there being really much middle ground like certainly now we seem to have some of that and it seems as though what we talked yesterday about whether or not Zuko was going to have a dark night of the soul and I feel like this is sort of leading to that rather than actually being that um because on the one hand he wants to be the prince and heir to the throne and he wants the approval and and it seems it is certainly like I want my dad to love me as so many stories are, but is also a little bit more beyond that. And on the other hand, seems to be rejecting so much of what his father stands for so much of what his sister prioritizes. Uh, and it's, um, it's interesting to see that tension play out at the, in these formative years, I guess. Um, which is why I'm so interested in mom and what her connection is <laughs> to, this family and how it is that she's more emotionally connected to Iroh and the son he lost than her husband is and all of that stuff. I found all of that really interesting and um, compelling. Now I know we find out more about the mom in, I think comics. Do we find out more about the mom in the show? No, I think Ursa remains relatively un- under discussed. Um, I think there's mm-hmm. a little bit of an explainer for what happens to her in the show. Um, like really broadly speaking. Um, but most of what her life was like before all of this and then after all of this is regulate uh, is, is uh, pushed off to comics. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there we can tell you more about that, but maybe not yet. Yeah, and I should note for listeners and Allison and Marcus um, that the Avatar comics are generally pretty good. Um, mm. So the trade paper, the just the collected trade paperbacks are totally worth picking up. They're all normally pretty solid, which is not something you get to say too often about tie-in stuff. But these are these are pretty good. Cool, okay. great. It's unclear to me how much Zuko picked up about what happened. You know, as a kid, yeah. with like your mom disappeared and the king died, and <laughs> the day, the night before that, <laughs> the. The um, your your the king told your dad he had to kill you, um. So yeah, I don't know how much Zuko really pieced that together, or maybe in that moment he is piecing some of that together. But yeah, it's not enough to just have your dad scar your face as he like teaches you a lesson. Air quotes. We also kind of do this. Um, yeah. What what did you think of the compounding tragedy of Zuko? So I think it. I, one of the things I really like about this and bouncing off of what Allison was discussing is that this sort of like scheming type stuff, I mean, always happens among like adults or people who were of age to like have a stake in it. Um, and to watch this sort of like from a distance from the from the eyes of like two children is not something we always get so like you think about like Lear you think about uh, Macbeth or you think about other sorts of like royal politicking type stuff it's the kids are always sort of 
held hostage somewhere or distanced off because they need to be married off or whatever, um, however it works within that particular culture. But here they're sort of front and center in a weird way of being just off stage. And I really like how that information, like you were saying, Kate, gets a little squishy from their perspective. Like Zuko, who is not the brightest bulb in the box, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> he has other strengths. He has other strengths. He absolutely <laughs> does. He doesn't know what those strengths are, but he has other strengths. Um, can't quite piece that together, but he also knows that everything that he's told is a lie because Zula always lies. Zula always lies. Zula always lies. And he just lives in this precarious state of not being able to believe everything, but also being the pup, being the one who should take the throne, but isn't going to because of who he is. Um, he's the, he's the Iroh to Zulu's Ozai. And I think that that's really, that's a really good parallel to set up. And it's really interesting to watch the show start to play those cards now as well. Yeah, I was really, I feel like a lot of what Noel is saying, which I totally agree with, is sort of encapsulated in the, I think it's the very first moment in the flashbacks we get when, um, when young Zuko says, this is how Azula feeds the turtle ducks and then throws whatever that is. I don't know what turtle ducks eat. First of all, Turtle ducks. Yeah, turtle Mark ducks. has previously <laughs> shouted them out. We just hadn't gotten there yet, but oh. they're oh my god, they're so cute. <laughs> turtle ducks. Uh like the frog squirrels very cool, but turtle ducks. Turtle ducks. Turtle ducks. Now I want to spin off where Appa has to raise a family of abandoned <laughs> turtle ducks. Can you imagine they just didn't print on him. Air? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make way for turtle ducklings. Like yeah. Oh my god, my heart. Anyway, uh, because it fe- it's it's such an interesting moment because obviously immediately she's like, his mother is like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Um, and kids model each other's behaviors. We certainly, um, sibling relationships can often be really competitive and complicated. Um, and we see Zuko as someone in the in these flashbacks who is certainly... Um, jealous and uh defiant and uh who's desperate for approval um but who also seems to be considerably more tender than his sister again the iroh um of the family uh but he's still modeling what she does even though it is so obviously wrong and I think that I just think it's a really telling, interesting, strange moment on which to start. And then everything that happens afterwards sort of reinforces the dynamics of that moment. Mm-hmm. And also just it's I mean, it seems pretty clear that the mom has learned that she can't do anything about Azula, but she can make sure that Zuko doesn't start picking yeah. up the wrong lessons. Yeah. Sorry, I'm nodding in very much agreement. Um, <laughs> and, but it's it's also not like Iroh isn't completely like prior to like getting the news that his son has died um isn't like completely like whatchamacallit um like separated from this system because yeah he's we like, don't know what he's like before the death death of his son that was clearly a significant moment yeah because mm-hmm. i mean he's sort of joking about you know i hope you all get to see the city before we burn it down it's just like that's not great that's not a great look um but 
Yeah, one of the things I was actually really curious about with the show coming back at this particular time and with like a new generation of viewers was like, we're going to we're going to have like a conversation about Ira being a war criminal because that's something that hasn't really happened within like this show's fandom of like, Ira is a war criminal. We're not going to talk about it because we love Uncle Ira, but he's a war criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's definitely true. And more on that as we find out more of his history. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus uh, says about Azula and and the mom, um, maybe she feels like she failed Azula. Giving up on your kid when she's like, what, eight, nine is not a good look. Um, we need to talk about Azula. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I can't. I don't know if that's actually an accurate reference, but it feels like it is. <laughs> um, yeah. And yes, it is. But. But also, at least, you know, who knows how, this is not necessarily accurate to how people actually are. But in terms of the story, she is set. She's not going to change. And there are some kids you meet, you know, or I should say, I have met kids, and I mean kids, who you can see certain elements of their personality that are just bad. That are just not destructive and maybe... There's something that, you know, you know, not as not a parent myself, who knows what you do in that situation, but maybe if you get the right help, they can be like steered away from those destructive behaviors that they tend towards and essentially go towards. Um, but like you watch them grow up and even with great parents, that's just who they are. That is their personality. And at, at age eight and nine, some people are set. Uh, you know, hopefully anyone can, you know, if they want to become a better person, can become a better person. But Azula is not interested in becoming a better person. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't think that's true for most kids. But some kids, even at eight or nine, are pretty much just set. And it's going to take a significant change. Or the, it's going to take them them wanting to change for that to cha- it happen. I mean, is it, I don't know if you guys have met people like that, but I have. Yeah. Okay, Marcus disagrees, and fair enough. The thing that it made me think of is um, the... I want to go on record as saying that I was on board with CBS's evil from Mm -hmm. the very first episode. However, the episode that pushed me from thinking, oh, this is going to be really good and fun and weird, to, oh, wow, this is probably occasionally going to be kind of profound. Why am I surprised it's the Kings? I shouldn't have known that that was the case, is one of the early episodes is about a child psychopath. And specifically, and obviously, in this case, they're also tying in um, questions of I mean, the religion is like the cheese around the pill sometimes, but like, or vice versa. Anyway, in this case, the the meat of that episode is the parents seem to be good parents, but the way that their kid is behaving seemingly inexplicably out of nowhere has put them in a position where everything that they're seeming to do to this kid would from the outside seem to be very abusive. They're locking him in his room. Everything's locked down. He is obviously um, sort of ostracized from the family, uh, but with good reason because, you know, he, he's pouring he tried to poison, poison into their them. food. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it's, yeah. it's very, very interesting. And I feel like this is why I'm curious about what comes next because whether or not a person is born with 
psychopathic tendencies was or, or sociopathic tendencies um or that's a a disorder that can take root at an early age you know i i don't really know i'm not a psychologist uh would never pretend to be um but i do think that when we're talking about those qualities in children it's a more complicated question than when we're talking about them in adults and mm-hmm. um and i want i what i want to know is why Azula is how Azula is. And if it's just that she's a villain, then she's a villain. But this show is so smart about trauma and um, inherited pain that, um, that I would be surprised if we don't get a little more color into how she is and why she is the way she is at some point. And there's definitely modeling in Azula's case of like, Ozai is very clearly a schemer. Mm-hmm. And has a degree of ruthlessness about him that she has decided to latch on to um, for whatever reasons, whether it's that she feels like Ursa, their mother, uh, gives too much attention to Zuko and thus just goes and sees what Ozai does and goes, I learned it from watching you. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, well, Azuka gets all mom's time, yes. so I'm just gonna go be like dad. I'm gonna right, go exactly. get my attention from dad. And yeah. I mean, it could be something like as simple as that in terms of this, but she also just kind of very clearly falls into the psychopathic child trope of various sort of stories um, and fiction. And but I mean, they go to great lengths to kind of emphasize that down to let's knock off a fire, let's knock off an apple using a fireball off my friend's head. And she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's that's worse than the magnifying lens and a fly. <laughs> so that kind of a thing, I think, is really what they're just doing a lot of sh- sort of like shortcut work, but filter through Zuko's memories. Yeah, um, I'm going to share something that is from the comics. Um, so if that's OK with you, Allison. Yeah, like, please. Some context. Yeah. So um the what's the or is what's the mom's name again ursa ursa yeah ursa u-r-s-a ursa okay yeah ursa didn't choose to marry ozai she was forced to marry ozai because of like a potential prophecy because of her lineage or whatever Hmm. and knowing that really shapes how i look at this like so it's not because like ursa seems great so and ozai seems terrible so why would she be with him Right. Oh, because she was forced to marry him. Sure. <laughs> or they'd like kill her family. So like that really makes a big difference in how I think like, which is not, I think that was written after this. Right. Yes. So we don't act, you know, that's how much of it is. How much post, of it is like, yeah. yeah retconning. Um, but that for me really shapes the dynamics in that family because then all of a sudden, like um, Marcus says their royalty forced marriage seemed obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, that 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 goes a, a long way because she really does. Rather than her feel like like Azula feeling like the odd person out, Ursa seems like the odd person out mm-hmm. in this dynamic. And it like especially with, with the grandfather, the king, and then and Ozai. There's such a, a line there, and even um, Iroh, um, what we can imagine he's like growing up in that environment before the loss of his son. Like she's the she's the odd person out, and he takes after her more than you know the Azula being the 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 strange one. So that that um that is really how I think of it. But anyways, more on that as we get more information and spend more time 
with with Iroh and Nozuko. Um, because yes, Iroh is not gone from the show. <laughs> we're, we're not just gonna like never see Uncle Iroh again. Um, are there any other parts of the flashbacks we wanted to talk about? Or if not, we do need to spend at least some time in the present and talk about some of these fight scenes and also Yeah, I want to talk about the animals real bad. Well, let's talk about the animals then. Yeah. Uh, so, question. Yeah. Uh, is there a pig version of everything? Or are all farm animals part pig? Why so many pig somethings? Is, Marcus says, is there just a pig? Is that even a thing? Yeah. Is there a pig pig? Yeah, um, I don't know. And I don't know if, like, they never explain the animal stuff. Great. They just don't. Like, it's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's uh, the best. That's the best. That's the best possible solution. So I, j- just the escalation of, like, pig after pig after pig after pig was such a delight. The rooster pig, obviously, that's like the cherry on top. I was like, oh my God. Because at first I was like, sheep pig. Wait, cow pig. Oh my God. And then it just went and went and went and went. And I just, <laughs> I was just delighted. Um, it's hard to be as amped about anything else in this episode as I was about all of the pigs and the turtle duck. Um, but I also thought that the fight scenes were really great. Um, and I guess to a point Kate made earlier, I never for a minute believed that Zuko was going to lose that fight. Um, But it was interesting looking at it through a lens of why he might be resisting using his firebending, both for, you know, concealment and his own safety and um, for the sort of shame pride dichotomy we talked about earlier. So I thought watching him essentially fight with one hand tied behind his back was very interesting. And he certainly has skills outside of with his, with his two swords that are really one sword mm-hmm. um, uh, outside of the firebending. Yeah, definitely. He's come quite a long way since flashback Zuko, who, you know, maybe needs a few more hours of practice. Uh, <laughs> Noel, any other thoughts on the animals or on the present day sequences? Yeah, all the animals are great. Um, Marcus, is the whole world just the island of Dr. Moreau? Yes. You, you've cracked it, Marcus. Surprise. Season three is just Marlon Brando. <laughs> well, Marcus wants to know, how would they call it? Why would they call it a pig rooster if there is no such thing as just a pig? Yeah. And that is true for all of the animals. Why would they call it an air bison? We haven't seen any non-flying bison. So why wouldn't it just be, that's what a bison is. And he's like, don't overthink it. <laughs> Because it's sense. cute and fun to us, yeah. not because it makes any sense. Yeah. In world, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, the fight stuff is good. I really like it. Um, like I like the use of the um, hammers as like an earthbending channeling tool. Um, since we've seen that a little bit with like the staff um, that Aang uses, and Zuko's able to channel some firebending through the swords, which I think is also really cool. Um, for me, the thing I like—I really like two things in this episode um, that occur in the present. One, I like the whole sort of sword training thing in the field of sunflowers, and then the decision to do that at night, so it's like toned down, way down, as opposed to being this beautiful, bright thing with the sunflowers. The darkness pre-dawn light i think works really well and makes it a really more beautiful scene um from just capturing sort of an emotional state there which i really really like um but then i like the read the inscription made in the earth kingdom 
<laughs> the other inscription. Uh, um, which is just... You killed the moment, kid. Come which on. Which is just the best. Um, but it's also a good callback because it tells us what's on the knife that they used to cut off their top knots in the very first episode of the season. Um, which I thought was really, really kind of a beautiful little moment. Um, I forgot. There's one more thing. He's got a left sword, don't he? It's just like, yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he does, old man. I love you very much, old man. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun with that too. Yeah. Um the just the 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 vibe, you know, as it switches back and forth um into town, um, between the, the the fights and and when it's like, okay, we're gonna be serious now, that kind of a thing, the escalation I think is very good. Uh Lee just being so annoying, but also hilarious and delightful. It's like why do you have a scar? Kids, stop asking questions. It's fine. I'm not going to answer them. I'm broody. Like, just like, okay. I've clearly never tiled a roof before. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was delightful. I had, I, I thought that they really landed the, like the tone for Lee, for the kid to be little kid enough and annoy, just enough to show that he, could be annoying, but not actually be annoying. So I thought that was, I thought that was good. I I, I really liked this episode. I had a lot of fun with it. So, um, uh, Marcus, unless you have any final thoughts, uh, go ahead and drop those in the chat. But Allison, our next two episodes are going to be the chase and bitter work. Thoughts? Hmm. Oh, let's say I'm hoping for an. Appa chase, like a car chase, but with Appa, <laughs> um, which would accomplish the double, the the double benefit of being both very entertaining and allowing Appa to once again be a taxi to Marcus's uh, chagrin. So I don't know. Now you're just trolling Marcus. It's really mean. Sorry, Marcus. Um, uh, I no, I, I mean, I I feel like watching Appa try to do like maneuvers and like sh- like shake a tail and um, g- go over an impasse like the bus in speed. Like that's that's what I want. Uh, mm. And bitter work. I assume there's work to be done, and and they don't like it. Lemons, my lemons. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Um, Marcus says he kind of did that in the swamp. He did. Uh, he did. Yeah. Uh, Marcus was neutral on the present, but the past scenes were good. Yeah. And I'm going to let Marcus have the, the last thought, which is, would they call in this, in this, would they call a pig, a pig cow rooster pig? Is that like how they'd actually call just a pig? <laughs> they like, tran- like move over into our world and be like, oh, a pig cow rooster pig. Right. I don't know, but I, like I think you're idea. right. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it's good. Very good. Um, and so that's what we're going to end the conversation for today. Thank you, Marcus, for hanging out in the chat. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more after the last airbender book tour. Good time. Bye. Bye. Bye.